Imagine it's a big football game day. Maybe it's a Sunday in the middle of October. Maybe it's Championship Sunday in January. Whatever Sunday it may be, you probably imagine certain locations. Lambeau Field, Soldier Field in Chicago, or maybe even Hard Rock Stadium in North Miami-Dade County. What you don't imagine is Cape Coral, Florida. Now, that's not to put down Cape Coral. It is, in fact, the largest city located between Miami and Tampa and the eighth largest city in the state of Florida. However, when it comes to professional football, there is no there there. But according to one of the founding fathers of Cape Coral, there might have been a pathway there. In January 1958, there was no Cape Coral. There was approximately 100 square miles of pristine mangrove swamp. But Leonard and Jack Rosen had an idea, a vision, for a city. In January 1958, the Rosens began construction on what would become Cape Coral. They would establish a corporation known as the Gulf American Land Corporation, or GALC, and soon see occupants reside in their city-to-be. GALC and Cape Coral were pretty much a runaway success, so much so that basically within a year of the beginning of construction, the company was organizing flights. These flights were bringing prospective customers from the Northeast and the Midwest down to South Florida, taking them over to what would become Cape Coral, and putting on the hard sell. And plenty of folks up north were buying what the Rosens were selling. One of the men interested in what was being sold at Cape Coral was a guy by the name of Joe Foss. Joe Foss was a war hero, former governor of South Dakota, and, most importantly to this story, the commissioner of the fledgling American Football League, a league established in 1959 to challenge the hegemony of the National Football League. Robert Finkernagel Jr., who was a vice president of GALC, recalled in 1987 a meeting that GALC had with Joe Foss and representatives of the American Football League. The AFL is going to expand. And Connie and Mr. Rosen and I went to New York for an interview. And this was at the Waldorf. And a number of groups were being interviewed. And after our interview, we got a phone call saying that we had it. And we put up $250,000 of earnest money to go through with a contract, which I think was some ridiculously low figure, like a million seven fifty, and the two hundred fifty would make the two million selling price, Mm -hmm. and that was no problem. We did that. So what happened? Why don't we have a Cape Coral football team? Well, there is one factor that Galk likely wanted to put the team in Miami. However, when you're building a bunch of houses and all of a sudden looking to buy a football team. The people that haven't gotten their contracts fulfilled yet might start to get a little bit angry. And then Leonard start getting rumblings from around the country. If you have enough money to buy a, a football team, maybe you ought to increase your development schedule here at, at Cape Carl. And instead of having people wait 10 years, they might have to wait 8 years. And so Galk backed out. The AFL still wanted to expand to South Florida. And so Joe Foss, the former governor of South Dakota, found a former South Dakota politician to align with. That political also ran, but business success was named Joe Robbie. And Robbie, 
along with a relatively famous friend, would partner together to bring professional football back to South Florida, this time for good. The Miami Dolphins were born today, this day in Miami history, August 16, 1965, when Joe Robbie, Danny Thomas, and the American Football League birthed the Miami Dolphins. The high times and low times All in the nightlife I am a surprise Will open your eyes But when the day breaks You feel the sun kiss If this paradise On what you wish When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Now, you may have noticed in my introduction, I mentioned that Joe Robbie and Danny Thomas brought professional football back to South Florida. What you may not know is that Miami had a professional football team before the Miami Dolphins. It was known as the Miami Seahawks. It was part of the All-American Football Conference, another early challenger to the National Football League. The conference was designed to focus on cities that the National Football League had largely ignored, These were cities in the West, like San Francisco and Los Angeles, and one particular city in the South, Miami. The Seahawks were a bit of a happy accident. The expansion team was actually supposed to go to Baltimore, but the investment for that franchise fell through. A stadium deal couldn't be reached. And so investors from Miami swept in, claimed the team, and put them at Burdine Stadium, which we know better as the Orange Bowl. The result was exactly what you would expect from a team that wasn't supposed to exist in the first place. An abject failure. The on-field results, pitiful. A 3-11 record led by two different coaches, Jack Meager and Hamp Poole. However, the boardroom results were actually even worse. The operation was led by a man named Harvey Hester, Hester was a standout halfback at the University of Florida, reportedly scoring seven touchdowns against Florida Southern University in a game in 1913. He would go on to be involved in restaurants and boxing promotion, but his heart truly was in football. He lobbied for an NFL expansion franchise near the end of World War II in 1944. But it was the opportunity with the All-American Football Conference that he jumped on. Harvey had two main problems. One, he was just a little bit too early. The population of Miami-Dade County was only about 300,000 people. Only Green Bay, Wisconsin had a smaller market for professional football than Miami did. 
Hester's second problem was he just wasn't rich enough. He was the only owner in the All-American Football Conference that wasn't a millionaire. And Cleveland Browns owner and coach Paul Brown remarked that he didn't even like to play poker with the other owners because he was afraid of the trouble he could get into with his money. Miami played what was called a follow-the-sun schedule. Most of its home games would come in the back end of the schedule when it would be warm in Florida and cold everywhere else. The problem with this was the Miami Seahawks were a bad football team. By the time the home games actually rolled around, everyone in Miami who would have bought a ticket knew the team stunk, and the ownership group never hit the anticipated attendance marks that it had projected before the beginning of the season. At the conclusion of the 1946 AAFC season, the Miami Seahawks sat in $350,000 worth of debt. Hester declared bankruptcy. The team was seized by the conference, relocated to Baltimore, and renamed the Colts. Let's now return to 1965. The Galk deal has fallen through, and Joe Robbie and Danny Thomas step up and make a bid for what will become the Miami Dolphins of the American Football League. What's fascinating about the bidding process is that it was known it was coming to South Florida. And when you look at the bids that stacked up against the Joe Robbie, Danny Thomas offering, it's really a who's who of South Florida business. Wometco Enterprises, Sidney Anson of Sunbeam Television. Why was the former South Dakota politician and then current Minnesota businessman Joe Robbie even involved in the bidding? Well, the answer was he loved football. He loved the sport as a child and had gotten away from it a little bit during college and his early business career, but while working in Minneapolis, bought season tickets to the Minnesota Vikings, and the passion was rekindled. And why Danny Thomas? Well, I guess the question should be, why not Danny Thomas? The Danny Thomas Show. Would you welcome, please, Danny Thomas. Danny Thomas was one of the biggest hits of early television. It's hard to overstate how big of a celebrity he was. Thomas's original show, Make Room for Daddy, aired for four seasons on ABC with limited success. It was canceled, but then picked up to fill the spot left by I Love Lucy. The renamed The Danny Thomas Show would go on to become the number two television program of the 1957-1958 season and remained a top 10 show for virtually every season of its run. The show went off the air in 1964, leaving Thomas time to focus on his philanthropy. He was the co-founder and primary sponsor of St. Jude's Children's Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee, and football. The third key person in this ownership group actually wasn't part of the ownership group at all. It was Miami Mayor Robert King High. High is one of the most important figures in Miami's history, and we'll talk much more about him in later episodes. But his role in attracting the American Football League to Miami can't be overstated. He actually was working directly with AFL Commissioner Joe Foss in drafting a contract for the Orange Bowl, which was controlled by the city of Miami, for the AFL team that would wind up playing there. 
So no matter what ownership group wound up winning the expansion bid, they had a stadium contract already set up, approved by the league. By August 16th, 1965, it was a done deal. Foss and Robbie signed the paperwork, Danny Thomas flew in from Los Angeles, and the party was on. Even though it would be 20 years since the Miami Seahawks had failed, the struggle that the team had wouldn't be far from Joe Robbie's mind. In this audio from a program entitled The Birth of the Miami Dolphins from 1966, which originally aired on Channel 7 WCKT, the NBC affiliate at the time, you can hear Robbie try to avoid drawing too many parallels between the Seahawks and the Dolphins. I think the financial uh, solidity of this franchise is already guaranteed and conditions are altogether different than they were when uh, the Miami Seahawks played. And they played to a lot of tough luck, too. They did indeed weather and uh, got off poorly. That's right, and uh, right now, of course, we're uh, in a much more substantial football league and Miami is a much greater metropolitan center. Robbie, they're talking to Joe Krogan of WCKT, was right about a couple of things. First, Miami had grown since 1946. Its population had exploded. The metropolitan area now had approximately 1.7 million people, a much larger base to pull from. Second was that the league was in much better shape than the All-American Football Conference was in the 1940s. Just months before the Miami Dolphins kicked off, the AFL announced a merger with the National Football League, the goal of every owner of the AFL. Joe Robbie and Danny Thomas had inadvertently walked into a gold mine. There was one thing that Robbie couldn't predict, though. You heard in the audio clip that Joe Krogan said the Seahawks got off poorly. As we talked about earlier, they finished their first and only season with a 3-11 and record. Well, another team that finished its first season with a 3-11 and record was the 1966 Miami Dolphins. However, if you remember, the Seahawks had a very difficult start, winning only one of their first nine games. However, in a very early show of the differences between the Seahawks and the Dolphins, the Dolphins had no problem with an exciting start. The Dolphins' debut must go down in football history as the most thrilling first play ever made by any new team anywhere. Joe Auer from nearby Coral Gables High School and a Georgia Tech alumnus takes the opening kickoff and races 95 yards for a touchdown. The season is only 15 seconds old, but the Miami fans are electrified, and Danny Thomas is breathless after running the last 50 yards with Auer. Of course, no one's going to be over the moon about a 3-11 season by an expansion team. But a nighttime game under the lights at the Orange Bowl, an exciting kickoff return, and one of the highest profile celebrities in America running down the sideline alongside the kick returner? It feels like Miami. Besides the debut, there wouldn't be that much excitement for the Dolphins in 1966, but there would be a lot more to come in just a few years' time but we'll leave that for another day in Miami history. There are a couple of organizations I want to single out for thanks in assisting me with today's episode. First off, the Samuel Proctor Oral History Program at the University of Florida. They were the ones that were able to provide me that amazing audio featuring Robert Finkernagel Jr. It's great to hear him talk in his own voice about the plans for Cape Coral 
and for the team that would become the Dolphins. I also want to give a huge shout-out to the Wolfson Archives. Uh, They have probably the largest collection of audio and video archival footage in South Florida, and they actually did a search for the video that I used to share with you the audio of the program that WCKT aired in 1966 about the debutante Dolphins. Uh, So thank you to both of those organizations for their work. I also want to thank the band King Elizabeth for the theme and outro music that I always use for my episodes. Uh, This track is entitled Miami Sunrise. I encourage you to seek it out and uh, download it and purchase it uh, for your personal consumption. I want to thank everyone who listens and everyone who gives feedback on our episodes. I want to ask you again, I'd love to hear from you either on social media at This Day Miami Pod or leave some feedback for us on your preferred podcast platform, whether that is Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it may be. If you have episode ideas for This Day in Miami history, I'm all ears. Contact me on social media. I'd love to hear what you would like to learn more about in Miami history. So until next time, I've been Matthew Bunch. The high times and low times all in the nightlife. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.